And now, coming to you live from our Coast to Coast Trading Desk, this is the Flagship Pod, a weekly live podcast recorded in front of a live Discord audience where we discuss the economy, the market, and the various economic forces shaping the world around you. As always, I'm your host, Peter Sternothrop, bringing you kind of a big one. We've had a lot of really big uh, moments coming out of the Fed today. We're going to be talking about the Fed reducing its balance sheet by $95 billion a month um, for the next kind of year and a half or so, how the market's reacting to that, how we're doing with inflation. We're going to be discussing various uh, moments throughout the market as well, why stock picks are even more important. We may touch on Twitter a little bit. A lot of like small things happening in this economy, but the major thing, of course, is our ongoing wrestle with this growing inflation situation. We're also here a little bit early just because Thursday just kind of doesn't work out in terms of like all of the meetings we have. So appreciate you guys coming with us early today, audience, but let's go ahead and get into it. As always, to discuss everything happening in the market today, folks, that I have, I'm joined as always by CEO and co-founder of Moby.co, Justin Kramer, also our chief analyst here. Justin, man, what's good? I How's life? How's inflation working out for you so far? Yeah, all's good. Can't complain. Um, another another crazy start to the market. I mean, Q1 was uh, was insanity. You know, Q2 will, will follow up so far based on what we've seen in the first few days alone. So um, there's a, a lot to unpack today. Exactly. Not even a week into Q2 and we're already, you know, seeing the Fed just really start to take strong action, which is exciting. So it kind of gets to more of our thesis that we may even see a bit of a peak to our inflationary pressure happening sometime this quarter. Fingers crossed, if not, maybe Q3. But again, you can't really predict what's going to happen here. The good news is, though, is that as we watch the, we are literally watching these Fed meeting notes come out live, audience, by the way. So people who are live in the audience with us, you're kind of reacting with with us. People listening to this after the fact, you're gonna, bare minimum, you're here a day late, so you might be hearing a little bit more about us. The Fed had its meetings come out. They basically said, yeah, we're going to be hawkish on inflation. Thank you very much. So two major things in May, we're going to start reducing the Fed's balance sheet by $95 billion a month. And we're also going to be looking at interest rate hikes of 50 basis points. The interest rate hikes you heard about before audience came a little bit earlier in March slash April, and that was just 25 basis points, i.e. one quarter of 1% of the interest rate. So now we're getting a little bit more aggressive and there's various indications that we'll see, you know, more hikes than this, maybe up to seven individual hikes of 50 basis points each. And that just means that, you know, we're just trying to, like, take some heat off of the economy, make it a little bit more expensive to uh, do business, so to speak, and just kind of slow things down a little bit. But we already knew that was happening. And so the thing that's really important to watch now this week is this reduction of the Fed's balance sheet. Basically, since the 2008 financial crisis, the federal government has propped up the economy with massive spending, um, and that balance sheet is now finally being reduced. That was one of the things adding heat to our economy and also keeping things going after 2008 really just gut-punched us. So it's one of those things where, uh, hey, maybe John Maynard Keynes was right, and just spending money sometimes can save your economy. But we're not going to get into theory here. I'm not an economist. I'm just a person who uh, watches the news and for some reason has an affinity for uh, Keynesian economics, whatever. But just Justin Kramer, let me bring you into this. So again, nothing new here. Uh, it's really interesting to see the market kind of di digest this really quickly and then kind of move on. Um, as you look at this, like, is there anything we should be thinking about in terms of how the market will continue to react to this? Is uh, a reduction in the balance sheet going to, you know, be priced in overnight? Or how would how would the market kind of like digest this news, you know? <clears throat> yeah, it's a good question. And I mean, it's definitely seeing the Fed do it versus telling us they're going to do it is two different things. They've been signaling for a while now this was something that they were going to be doing, um, but this has been going on for over a decade, so kind of the reversal in stance of this actually happening is pretty significant. Having said that, they, they've been shadowing this for a while. They've been telling people they're going to do this. They're telling people they're going to raise rates. I mean, 
to some extent, this should, should not come as a surprise to anyone. If you've been paying attention to us for a while, we've been talking about this since last year. Um, so I think the, the markets are going to take this in stride pretty quickly. It'll be priced in rather quickly. Um, now that's definitely happening. I'm sure when they actually like do it and start reducing it further outside of just telling us they're going to do it, um, it'll, it'll have maybe a, a quick reaction as well. But I think given where interest rates are, um, things are, things are starting to get priced in. Having said that, um, the yield curve is something that we definitely need to take a look at. Uh, and if it becomes inverted, that's definitely a, a bad sign for markets going forward. If you're not familiar with that, basically when the yield come, curve becomes inverted, um, short-term bonds are yielding more than long-term bonds, um, which is a very bearish signal for the market. People thinking that today's prospects are, are better than tomorrow's, which ultimately, um, you know, people are, are, are forward indicators in the market. So if they think the, the bond market and the yield curve becomes inverted, then there's a, a really good chance we're, we're headed in the wrong way. Historically, it's been a, a strong indicator. So definitely something we need to keep our eyes on uh, if it becomes inverted, if it becomes sustained. Um, but outside of, uh, outside of the bond markets, right now, everything that's going on in the Fed, the economy, um, it shouldn't come as a surprise. If, like I said, if you've been listening to our content, what we've been putting out, We've been talking about this for months. So I think long story short, it's going to be priced in rather quickly. Um, but we have to keep looking at the bond market, see how it reacts, because this might put everything on, on its head going forward. Exactly. And audience, uh, since uh, Justin, it's really hilarious because you basically answered a question that the entire audience was asking because we talked about um, balance sheet going down. We talked about interest rates and our audience was like, was like, wait a bit, tell us more about the yield curve. Because if you are even remotely plugged into the financial media right now, all you've been hearing about for the past week or so is the yield curve inverting. So thank you for giving us that really quick utilitarian explanation. The main question we're getting from our audience, though, is yield curve equals recession, right? And an audience, you kind of heard Justin's explanation, too. It's just something we have to watch closely, see how the market prices is in. But let me give you some data on the back end here. Um, the yield curve inverting like this, where the two, the two years uh, better returns in the 10-year has um, been associated with recessions that is five out of the last six recessions. Um, so by one count, it's, it's not necessarily a guarantee. It's just an association. Correlation is not necessarily causation. And the reason the Fed isn't worried about this is because the labor market is just genuinely booming right now. We have March and unemployment data from last Friday that show non-farm payrolls to continue to grow robustly. We're looking at about um, 431,000 jobs added last month um, uh, after, after an even bigger increase in February of 750,000. So the Fed looks at that and says, okay, yield curve inverting could mean recession, labor market, not so much. Um, so we have a bunch of mixed signals. And so this, if this does lead to a recession, it'll be more of a traditional recession. Unfortunately, a lot of us here are more of the millennial stock. And so when we think recession, we think catastrophe because all of the last slowdowns have come with bubbles bursting. When I was a kid just learning what the market was, the dot-com bubble burst and just sent the whole world into a tizzy. Then when I finally was ready to graduate college, the market was like, nah, financial, uh, 2008 financial crisis. And finally, when I recovered from that, we had the COVID brief like crash, which wasn't really a recession just a complete just shutdown of the economy that has been gradually restarting ever since. So if this happens, it's just kind of like the recession we were kind of aiming at since the recovery of 2008, which is a slower process. You won't really find out you're in a recession um, the way you did before, because it's actually a very slow process if it happens sort of like with natural market forces, as opposed to the cataclysmic sort of recessions we have had, um, at least across my lifetime. And so just keep that in mind, like a slowdown coming kind of makes sense with all the heat in the economy, but at the same time, the Fed is being pretty hawkish on this. And if we can 
cool down these inflationary forces and keep job growth going. It may not actually lead to a recession and we can lead to continued recovery here, um, at least uh, in our economy. But I want to get too into that audience. What I want to get into actually is just getting into the markets themselves. And so Justin, the main thing people are thinking about is, okay, there's a recession coming. I want to be a little bit more, I don't know, conservative, maybe a little bit more defensive in my investing. I want to be very pick oriented, so to speak. And so you actually had a really good piece of research come out this week in terms of like your sort of basket of stocks you're thinking about um, that are not necessarily inflation proof, but like if rates rise, these kinds of stocks perform well. So can you, can you take me through like Silvergate, Wells Fargo, Silicon Valley Bank, and just how you're thinking about investing your way through a potentially, as, as rates continue to rise, as we sort of like think about inflation and that hurts other companies, how does it help sort of the financial institutions that you put in this basket? Yeah, so historically, financial institutions do well in rising rate environments. But in today's kind of financial overview or financial setting, not every financial stock is going to do well. And so picking like an index or a basket of financial stocks is really not the way to play this. We have to be picking the stocks that are rate sensitive in a positive way. Um, right now, when you when you look across the spectrum, there are a bunch of different types of lenders, financial institutions, um, all acting in a different capacity. Um, when you look at Wells Fargo, you look at Silvergate, um, and you also look at Silicon Valley Bank, their exposure to floating rate um, assets and fixed rate assets are, are much stronger than everyone else. So to break it down in the most simplest terms that also <laughs> isn't very dry, um, you, if you're familiar with like your local branch or where you'll keep your, your money, they'll pay you some sort of um, fixed interest rate. Um, and then typically when the rates rise, they'll pay you more um, or for some accounts at all, they, they won't pay interest at all. Um, and so specifically with three, these three stocks, all of their deposit accounts primarily are either in no interest rate bearing accounts or in fixed rate accounts so that if interest rates go up, they're not paying more. So from an actual liability perspective, like if rates are going up and everyone else is having to pay more money towards like their users and their clients, it's really advantageous not to be here to have to do that. So those three companies from a liability standpoint are doing really well. And not only are they doing really well from a liability standpoint, but also from all the ones on their books um, and how sensitive they are to interest rates, they're going to start accumulating more, essentially more dollars per loan um, because the interest rates will be at higher rates. And although the, the you know, overall amount of loans they could have outstanding may decline, uh, ultimately the amount of they'll be making from each loan is better for their bottom line. So these three companies in particular kind of fulfill both of those levers um, and are really like great companies to look at. Wells Fargo, lowest risk by, by far. Silicon Valley Bank, um, they're going to be a huge lender kind of like in the startup community. And so right now with a lot of tech companies staying private, they're going to be a massive source of capital there. Um, and then Silvergate is the number one lowest, um, lowest non-interest bearing accounts out there. 99% of their deposit accounts don't pay interest. So like they're in a position much better than everyone else, uh, but they're really heavy in the crypto market. So this is going to be a super high risk pick, super high reward. If crypto goes back up, rates are creeping back up. They could have one of the best years. Um, very skeptical on crypto going up over the next few months. Um, but over the long run, especially like with rates not really looking to decrease anytime soon, they're, they're a good you know, multi-year play. 
Precisely. And that's kind of the thing you have to think about in terms of this. There's always going to be risk associated with any one of these investments during this time period. So as you look at this, remember, it's always a play of risk versus reward audience. Um, and so what I've appreciated is all sort of like the questions and follow up I'm getting from our live audience here. Again, audience, if you're listening to this in a recorded version, feel free to join our Discord community. You can find it in the description of the podcast below. Um, we have a very um, robust community here. Audience, if you have any, have any, other, any other questions, uh, just feel free to DM them to me here on Discord. I'm at MobyStar here. If you're listening to this uh, in a recording, you can feel free to email me, peter at moby.co, and I will gladly make sure I'm tailoring these conversations to your needs. So as we sort of like think about this too, we want to find, you know, different moments that are uh, interesting to play around with. So obviously, um, in an interest rate environment, these three stocks work out really well. Our audience is very short-term focused right now, though, Justin. They're thinking about various ways to, like, um, you know, make various plays that'll work out in the long term, but give them a little bit more momentum uh, in the short term. And of course, the only thing I'm getting questions about, Justin, and I uh, appreciate you addressing this real fast, is uh, Elon Musk buying 9% of Twitter stock, um, 9% of the market cap of Twitter, around about $3 billion for the Twitter stock that appreciated by, what, $700 million in the past three days. Um, is, it, is Twitter still a good buy now that uh, the king of Twitter now owns the uh, largest share of Twitter stock? Or um, And furthermore, follow-up question to that, should we start building a portfolio based on every time Elon Musk makes a poll? Because the first poll he made uh, during this market cycle was him selling a bunch of Tesla stock. The next poll he made was him basically announcing he was buying a big old slice of Twitter. So obviously, every time Elon Musk tweets, we should just buy whatever's in his industry, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you can uh, set up a trading strategy and be the first one in, first one out of the stocks he tweets, not even stocks, just crypto, it's, I mean, <laughs> you can definitely make some money. It's kind of crazy how polarizing and influential he is. Um, and, and with Twitter specifically, him getting on the board, I mean, it could go in so many directions. Um, you see the CEO of Twitter kind of punching both sides of the fence. And I would imagine that most people inside Twitter are not too happy about it. But Elon is truly believes in First Amendment and free speech. Um, and so he's definitely going to shake some things up. Um, I could even see this being kind of like how Tesla and a bunch of his other ventures um, expand from here. It's, I'd say right now, we don't know enough to be able to really make an opinion and say how much he's going to get involved. But as the largest shareholder in the world of Twitter, he's definitely going to have a a good amount of influence um we'll see how much influence he he really needs to have if you look at what people are complaining about on twitter it's not really about the platform itself it's more just like censorship and typical things you're seeing with other social platforms i mean he he may go ahead and make some changes there but twitter is a, a pretty growing user base and from a investment perspective a lot of like their problems more like relate to their advertising platform and how they actually monetize themselves more than like actual usership and amount of active users and all the traditional growth metric people are tracking. So long story short, um, I think I view Elon joining there as a net positive, but to invest around the fact that he is joining, I think is very premature. Um, they have a lot of problems and they're going to have to to solve a lot of them, especially given what's going on, like in the data privacy space. But um, yeah, I mean, if, if you're a holder in, in Twitter, this is definitely helpful. If you're looking to buy Twitter, um, it, it's also helpful, but if you're looking to buy Twitter only for the fact that he joined, I would. We're, we're, we are definitely not doing that internally. 
Precisely. And I think it's really important to point out that like the time to buy Twitter stock was obviously the day before this happened. Um, there's still a bunch of question marks in terms of how Twitter can monetize itself. Like, it, Twitter is the most confounding, one of the more confounding businesses we have to deal with um, in, in the tech space because they are absurdly influential in like a very big macro sense like facebook and other social media platforms are influential like across very broad communities but like in terms of like the global zeitgeist twitter is the most influential company on earth whole careers are made and destroyed you know within hours sometimes on the twitter platform it's also just kind of the most natural internet-based uh communication so it's a reactive channel and therefore things kind of happen the fastest on twitter and they, and yet like twitter just doesn't make that much money right despite the fact it's like necessary for so much of like our global infrastructure being on twitter communicating on twitter uh, twitter really hasn't found a way to properly monetize we're thinking about subscription services they're you know building out a better ads product but uh, just to give you sort of a, an idea of the scale of how you make money with twitter um elon musk bought his you know shares uh, on monday and by today uh, they have appreciated by 700 million dollars um, and then just to give you a little bit of context, Twitter's actual revenue last year was, uh, I'm just going to say, much lower than that. Um, so I want you to keep in mind, just uh, we're still looking at $108 million of net income from 29 to, 2019 to 2021 on actual Twitter. So if you want to make money with Twitter, uh, you should have bought that stock maybe a couple of years ago, because right now it's still a lot of question marks. Maybe not a buy right now, but let me watch and see how, you know, uh, somebody who is clearly the biggest master of Twitter and social media now being a the largest shareholder of that, seeing how that influences the direction Twitter goes in. Because again, it's all about revenue and Twitter's a bunch of question marks. So audience, I really appreciate your passion. I really appreciate your questions. Uh, and I'll, I'll let you know right now as an experimenter, as somebody who puts my money where my mouth is, next time Elon Musk puts out a tweet, um, I'll figure out something to buy, sell, or short. And I'll let you know how it works out for me in terms of a gambling perspective. Uh, I, love, I love that a lot of our audience is here in the spirit of Wall Street bets. Um, it's one of the, it's a solid community in terms of like getting people involved and in investing and understanding the power of individual investors. But getting back on track, let's get back to the long-term perspective and understanding how we play around with um, making money uh, on the stock market, understanding these market forces for the long term, because that's the game you're really trying to play audience. So Justin, one thing that's really exciting here at Moby is that, um, you know, we've been developing these quantitative portfolios. We've been trying to figure out different ways to get more information to our, our members and understand what's going on there. And we've been putting out a bunch of these portfolios and finally we're starting to update them now that sort of like the algorithms are adjusting to the world here. And so today, actually, yesterday, actually, we put out an update on our offshore opportunities portfolio. Um, can you kind of take me through uh, our thought process in terms of like what, what's, what's leaving, what's entering and how we're thinking about our returns? Like, how did you feel about this strategy now that it's been running for, you know, um, I think almost a month now, right? So how do you feel about it now and how do you feel about sort of the change can you take us through the changes that are happening there so we can understand sort of like the our quantitative approach to these portfolios yeah totally and for those who are unfamiliar basically you have two different trains of thought you have fundamental and like technical analysis that people themselves are running and then you have a third method called like quantitative analysis um, which is mostly built around computer science and technology and algorithms um, and ultimately, you feed it a ton of data, you give it a set of rules, and it spits out more or less the stocks you should invest in, oversimplifying it a lot, but that's more or less how it works. And so what we've done uh, with our data scientists and our in-house engineers is more or less analyze massive, massive pools of data um, that, frankly, humans just are unable to do when you need technology. 
um, and from there started identifying opportunities and patterns that the computers recognized that like we <laughs> that we couldn't in some capacity. Um, we use artificial intelligence and machine learning to make those get smarter over time, um, and we have different goals associated with them. So we have a strategy that's based around collecting dividends. We have a strategy that's based around finding tech stocks that are undervalued, and the strategy that Peter's referring to is a strategy revolving uh, around finding opportunities in emerging markets. Um, and so when you think about emerging markets, you think basically anything that's not Europe or Western Europe really, or America, it's opportunities in South America and Asia and Africa uh, and West mature markets. And so the reason we're going after those specifically are there's a lot of opportunities there that investors don't really know about. Obviously, if Apple comes out and misses earnings, beats earnings, everyone reacts quickly, everyone has the same information and everyone's paying attention. What we're doing in the emerging markets is using our data, using our technology to find opportunities that no one's ever heard of. Um, these will take probably a little bit longer to play out sometimes, but these are a real place for us as investors to make good strategic investments where we can start outperforming others because we're analyzing things that no one else is even taking a look at. Um, so the way the algorithms are designed is they're supposed to update every single month. Um, we, we built this, released it last month, um, and after month one, and we don't want to typically benchmark ourselves on this, but it's a good start. Um, after month one, we are performing, outperforming the respective index by over 200%. Um, so it's doing really well relative to the index. If we can continue to keep up this outperformance, um, it's just a, a really good sign. And if you look across all three of our strategies, they're all outperforming their respective indices. So really good sign so far. Could definitely change month to month. Again, this is a much longer term strategy. Um, but these portfolios trade actively. They're constantly looking at data 365 days a year um, and then making the updates based on it, taking the human emotion out of it. And so if you look at the portfolio for this month, it's almost completely different than the portfolio from last month. So it's very active. It's designed to just take advantage of opportunities as they pop up. So definitely check them out. They're, they're something that we're really proud of to roll out. Pretty much can't find this anywhere else outside of going to a hedge fund uh, directly, which most people can't do. Um, so yeah, if you, if you have any questions, just definitely reach out. And it's, it might be confusing because like I said, you can't really get this stuff anywhere else. Exactly. And I think it's just really important to keep in mind that we're also building out ways to get you better notifications in terms of when this updates. You'll always see that in your email if you're a Mopi.co member audience, but stick with us as we build better notification infrastructure out to help you sort of understand how these algorithms are updating uh, throughout time. Um, if you're listening to this podcast version, I've got a link to everything we've described in the description. And if you're here on Discord, you can just hit me up and I'll, I'll hit you with that link. Um, and I'll also have that in our general channel momentarily. Regardless, uh, if you're a Mopi.co member, you should be already having this in your inbox, check it out, check out how the, how the positions have changed. And it's really exciting to see the reasoning why as well. And so it's really awesome that we can give you, you know, various different ways of understanding your long-term health um, in this economy. And it's great finding different opportunities as we move across this. So just huge, huge shout out to the Moby team for building a means by which people can have access to algorithmic strategies without, you know, uh, going to a hedge fund or, you know, programming a weird stock picking bot themselves, which is a lot of work, honestly. 
mostly. So it's honestly just a, a really interesting time. And so that's kind of the the key here at a Q2 audience is to sort of round this out. This is a period where the energy in the economy is at its highest, and we're really excited to see the potential of inflation peaking. That does not necessarily mean prices are going to go down anytime soon. We're going to probably see this plateau a bit as interest rates sort of like chip away at this. And as supply chains kind of adjust to another new normal, there may be new inflationary pressures coming in terms of, you know, uh, a lot of the world's nitrogen and ammonia comes out of Eastern Europe. And so where are we going to get more fertilizer? Is there going to be an actual fertilizer shortage? Um, we're looking into that as well in terms of how to sort of work around those potential inflationary pressures. I've been doing a lot of like really long term research about what could be happening there. So stay tuned for me giving you some more information on that side. But ultimately, uh, we're, we're seeing a lot of things trend in the right direction. So Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder here at Moby.co, chief analyst. Um, we're sort of like beginning to run out of time here. Anything else you want us to keep in mind as we sort of like look forward to um, uh, the week ahead as well? Is there anything we should be watching in terms of thinking about the market? Or is it just like it's going to be all inflation all day and just thinking about how the market's reacting to, um, you know, the Fed finally getting its act together? Basically, I hate to say that this year is different than other years because every year brings its own craziness. But more or less, the Fed, the economy, interest rates have have all been trending in a similar direction for the last decade, uh, minus a little bit of change in, uh, in the late 2010s. Um, but basically, this year, by cutting back their balance sheet, by raising interest rates, by seeing inflation, things that we haven't seen in like a decade, um, things are things are different. And so you really need to pay attention. Um, I think the days of just blindly picking stocks and everything goes up or are over. Picking the right stocks, making the right investments is, is really more important than ever. So we just continue to, to keep an eye on and we'll be in help, as helpful as possible. Precisely. And I think this is a really important time for a lot of us who are more on the millennium side of the spectrum, too. I just want to uh, like uh, really put a bow on this here real fast, audience. If you're like me and you kind of understood the market um, in terms of starting to invest in your 20s when it was, uh, you know, the 2010s and then uh, all of this other stuff happening, you've kind of been used to a period where the whole like you I started investing when the market was at its, at its lowest possible. Right. Um, and just kind of I've been riding away for a decade. Right. So for the longest time, my whole investing strategy was just buy ETFs, who cares? Um, because it's all going to go up either way. Now we're going to see a period as volatility takes takes hold as act as real inflation hits in a potential actual recession, not a catastrophe, not a recession caused by a catastrophe sets in that you're going to see sort of like the, uh, the real companies get separated from the pretenders. Finally, a lot of companies have been riding a wave of cheap capital and rising markets for the past 15 years, basically. Um, and that 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 party is over. And so you need to be more considered in your long term investing. Of course, in the long run, a lot of these companies will find a way to correct their strategies and grow. It's just some will grow a little bit better across that time scale. And so I'm really excited that you're going to be here with me as we begin to learn that and understand what works and what doesn't, because it's not going to be industries that win. It's going to be individual companies within those industries. So a lot more competition coming audience, a lot more pressure coming, which ultimately creates a lot of innovation, a lot of shareholder value. So I'm honestly excited for this period because we're going to really see um, how companies perform when it's not as easy, so to speak. Um, there's going to be a lot of levers companies can't pull anymore. So it's gonna be really interesting to see how we create shareholder value in in this new normal. So either way, audience, I've really appreciated all of your questions. Justin Kramer, CEO, co-founder here at Moby.co. I've really appreciated all of your input as well. This is a really exciting time in terms of building your long-term portfolio. And audience, I'm so glad you're here to do it with us. Justin Kramer, we're literally here at time. Any any final thoughts from you or, or, my, or can I just go ahead and read the credits here? 
No, it's, let's wrap it up. It was great. Awesome, guys. And audience, thank you so much for being here with us. Just so you know, though, this podcast was produced and hosted by me, Peter Starr. Um, all of the sort of intellectual uh, merit of this comes from our CEO, co-founder, and chief analyst, Justin Kramer, as well as our brilliant quantitative team and analyst team. Um, we're really excited to bring you a lot more stuff over at Moby.co. If you are, if you only know us via the podcast, check us out over at Moby.co. You can also check out more in-depth analysis over at YouTube.com slash C slash Moby Invest. And just, you know, uh, join us here. If you have any questions at all, hit us up at hello at Moby.co. If you want to find a way to like direct this program at all, you can hit me up at Peter at Moby.co. Otherwise, audience, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for being here with us. And as always, I like to leave you with peace, love, and incremental gains. Everyone be well. Thank you so much.